You can look on the back of your sermon outline, which is in your program. If you didn't get a program, put up your hand and Nancy Young will get one to you. The, or someone will. Nancy's downstairs. But uh, if you didn't get one, put up your hand and James Lee will get you one. The uh, text this morning comes from Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. Familiar words to some of you, but new to many of us. The Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So far then the reading of God's Word. Two images of two ships. The first ship, Roz, not getting moment, movement here, the first ship, Carnival Cruise, a cruise ship. What fun it is to be on a cruise ship. You have a few people who are paid staff to take care of all of you and show you a grand time, and you, well, you, you're along for the ride. Or a battleship, a battleship where all hands are on deck, and every person has his assignment, and he must do his assignment and carry it out for the welfare of the whole operation. A cruise ship? Or a battleship? Which one is a better analogy for the church? Friends, none of us are just along for the ride in the kingdom of God. We've been talking for the past several weeks in this series about the mission of the church. And if you're our guest today, I want you to know that two weeks ago, we studied that tremendous passage at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, commonly called the Great Commission. And you remember that the disciples find Jesus risen from the dead, and they meet him on the mountain. And what do they do there? They worship. And then 
come the words of Jesus, go, and as you go into all the world, make disciples. So they worship Him. They come to know Him, to know Christ. That's the first part of our mission statement. But then He gives the Great Commission to make Him known. And last week, we studied this passage, this interesting conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. Remember that from John chapter 4. And in the midst of this long dialogue with this woman, Jesus tells her something fascinating. Jesus says, the Father seeks worshipers. Now, we know God doesn't need anything. God is independent, self-sufficient. God doesn't need anything, and yet Jesus says the Father seeks worshipers. And what did we discover last week? We considered the, the, the statement that missions and evangelism exists because worship doesn't. And where the nations and the people are not worshiping God, we find that God, because He's righteous and because He is loving, God actually discloses Himself to the world. And when God reveals Himself, what is the only option? It is worship. When you truly behold Him as He is, the Father in His glory, the Son in His majesty and grace, the Holy Spirit in His beauty, the response is worship. And worship my friends, becomes the fuel for all the other stuff. Remember the words of Jonathan Edwards. It's one thing to know intellectually that honey is sweet. It's another thing to taste honey. And so we worship the Lord because we want to know the Lord be touched, shaped by the Lord, and that becomes the fuel for any missionary work, any evangelism, any mercy that we show. Today, I want us to understand that all of us are not the same. We're not the same in this mission, and, and it's, it's timely in our third study together that we find in this marvelous passage in the book of Romans, which is the hinge of the book of Romans, the beginning of chapter 12, follows the first 11 chapters that are the richest uh, and longest statement of theology in the whole Bible. And then Paul says, therefore, and he begins to explain to us how to live practically, how to live practically the Christian life. And he drives in these first eight verses, he drives us to understand how we are to live as the body of Christ functioning together. There's three points. You see them in your sermon outline. The first point is that Christianity is not just informational, it is transformational. That's verses 1 and 2. And then Paul begins to say, we want the right people doing the right things for the right reasons in verses 3 through 6. And then he pushes home and he pokes the church at Rome and he says to them, what are your gifts? What are your passions? How has he wired your personal style? And how do they align for your place in the body of Christ. So point number one, the first two verses of this familiar passage set the context for this discussion of ministry gifts. And he says, by the mercies of God, who are Christians? Christians are people who have experienced, who have tasted, who know the mercy of God. 
Is that you? Have you received mercy at the cross? And as you do, the response is one of presenting yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And he uses two adjectives, doesn't he? Made holy and acceptable to God. How do you become holy and acceptable to God? Sinners like us, we who fall short of the glory of God, how could we possibly be acceptable to the one who is pure as light? The answer is Jesus Christ came. And Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to die in order to make us holy, to present us to the Father, to make us acceptable to the Father. And He gets all the glory for what He's done for us. And now in Jesus, we are holy, we are acceptable to Him, and as the response, we present our bodies to Him, and then a process of change starts happening in our lives. He says, don't be conformed to this world. That's the way you used to be. You used to live and think like the housewives of Orange County. You know, that's the way you used to live. Not anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to change you. And this transformation is more than just getting Bible information. Oh, we must have the information of the Bible, but it is more than that. It is a transformation of the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God in our souls. And you begin to be changed you dis and discern the will of God. And this is very interesting. A lot of people have used this passage and said, well, how do you know the will of God? What car should I buy? What job should I take? You know, And uh, who should I marry? And all these are well and good. That we need to discern God's will. But this passage tells us if you're going to discern the will of God, what you're going to start thinking about is how He has shaped you and wired you to serve. Oh, oh, yeah, that's the will of God for me to discern. How does He want me in the part of that beautiful organism called the body of Christ? And He does it, He says, by renewing our minds. This is not a new concept. It's all through the Bible, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love R.C. Sproul's radio broadcast. It's called Renewing Your Mind. It's one of the best radio broadcasts out there. And why? Because Sproul has such a passion for people to have the, the corrupt and darkened thoughts of their minds transformed by the light of God's Word so that they can be changed. And I'm the same way. I just can't quite speak like R.C. Sproul. But the Word of God, rightly delivered, transforms our minds, right? We want to be thinking Christians. We don't leave our brains at the door when we come to Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody intimidate you or suggest that Christians have to somehow take a back seat in terms of conversation about philosophy or ethics or the ways of life. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Paul says, uh, Ephesians 4.23, Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things of earth. And Jesus prayed in John 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Transformation. 
I hope you've memorized or are acquainted with that beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And we, Paul says, are being transformed from one image of glory to another from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, in this church family, I hope we agree together. We want to be people who are being changed as we learn to think like God wants us to think and then our hearts follow. One of the best things about this church is that many of us are young in our spiritual journey. And it's wonderful to see the lights go on. You know, as someone for the first time discovers God as their heavenly Father. As someone learns that they have been forgiven and suddenly they have the power to forgive another. As someone who has lived in depression and despair, suddenly wakes up and they have hope for tomorrow. And they find strength for today, being changed slowly by the work of the Spirit in His timing. And it's all around you in this room. The lights are going on. The lights are still going on in my poor brain transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then he goes on, point number two, in verses three through six, and he starts to teach very practically that we are transformed so that we have the right people doing the right things for the right reasons. And I love that phrase. That's not original with me. You've heard it before. I got that from Bill Hybels in his leadership material. But when a he says that when a church is healthy... It comes right out of this text. When a church is healthy, you're not just filling spots in the church because you need a job done. This passage teaches us that we actually want the right people who have passions and gifts and are wired for that position, doing the right things, what the Bible says needs to be done, and doing it for the right reasons. Not to be superstars or not to get the attaboy pat on the back, but because they love and worship the Lord Jesus Christ and have presented themselves to Him. What does he say? Look at this in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now this you know, Paul's not winning friends and influencing people with this thing, but apparently the Bible is not first and foremost concerned about your self-esteem. Did you know that? Every psychologist you pay a nickel to on the street corner, well, the most important thing for him is that you get self-esteem. I have no argument with having a healthy self-esteem, but that is not the goal for the Christian. It's not a high self-image, an inflated self-image, that's not what we're about. What does he say here? He wants us to have an accurate sense of self. Accurate. Think soberly. Why does he choose sober? Well, what does alcohol do? 
Alcohol gives you an inflated sense of yourself. I can do all these great things after you've had a couple drinks of wine. Oh, my friends. Alcohol inflates the way you think of yourself. So he says, no, let's think soberly about ourselves. Accurately about ourselves. And um, he's warning against, at least he's warning me against the sin of pride, one of my most terrible sins. An accurate sense of self. Where does that begin? Well, of course, it begins in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, when God says, let us make humankind in our image, make mankind in our image. Every human being, male and female, is made in the image of God. And then immediately he gives a task. You're a doer, you're a worker. Have dominion over the earth. Have an impact on the earth. And now in the new covenant, it gets kicked up a notch. And in the new covenant, you are each one uniquely gifted and called in the body of Christ, he says, given gifts by God's grace to serve in a marvelous way. He made you. He wired you uniquely. You know, the passage I love the most that teaches this is Psalm 139. Do you know Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14? The psalmist says to God, You formed my inmost parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen, listen carefully. If you want to understand yourself accurately, the first thing you need to know is that you are not a bag of chemicals. This is what our atheist friends would tell us. You're just a bunch of atoms bumping into each other. And the Bible says, oh no, the human being has a soul that is created and you are made in the image of God. And you're to have an impact in this world and in His kingdom. And so the text turns in verse 4 to discuss how He designed you to function in our church family. It's very helpful. And around here we draw on this great book by Bruce Bugby. It's called The Network Course. And this fall we'll be presenting it again for those of you who would like to discover your spiritual gifts and identify your personal passions and understand how you have been uniquely wired. If you've never done this, we want you to have the opportunity to do this. You see, the person sitting next to you and the person sitting in front of you, the person sitting right behind you, is a unique and beautiful creation of God with gifts that God wants to be used. Why? Well, in our Tuesday night men's group, it seems like every other week, somebody quotes from Ephesians 2, verse 10, that tells us that, uh, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ has appointed us to do good works. And God appointed them before a tree was planted, before a star was made, God appointed you to do good works. And here we're learning He has gifted you particularly to do them. Imagine, imagine, now quote Bill Hybels again here, imagine a church led by leaders 
taught by teachers, served by people who have the gift of administration, shepherded by pastors and people with a pastoral heart, led in worship by lead worshipers whose zeal and passion is the celebration of the glory of God. Imagine a church mobilized like a battleship of people who have the gift of helps behind the scenes. They don't want the spotlight. They just love to roll up their sleeves and say, how can I help? Imagine a church like that. What a novel idea. And yet over the centuries so often the church has just said, well, we need a Sunday school superintendent. You're doing it for this year. No, we don't, we, we don't do it like this. What, what are we talking about? Around here, you have a servant profile, and we want you to discover it. What is it made of? It's made up of your passions. It's made up of your spiritual gifts. It's made up of your unique personal style, the way God has shaped you. Listen, some of us are people persons, and others of us are task-oriented. Now, you're, you're not only one or the other, but on the whole, are you more of a people person or more of a task person? And, you know, we have, I, I don't see him here this morning, but I was thinking about Merrill, our friend Merrill. Merrill's a greeter. Merrill loves to greet people who come in the door. Why? Because he's a people person. I don't know of a better people person. He's just always so happy to see you, to make sure you feel welcome. So what if I said, Merrill, we need somebody to stuff the bulletins on Friday afternoon. Eh, he might do it, but it'll take him four hours because he'll be talking with everybody who comes through the bulletin and he'll get the pages in the wrong order. But Julia Combs, who we prayed for, ah, Julia, she comes every Friday afternoon, either she or Pat Havelka, and they love stuff in the bulletins, and making sure the pages are in the right order, you see? And you want task-oriented people who are wired in their just personal style, the right people doing the right things. And then you have your passions. And in this church, I look around the room, and there are people whose passion is worship and music. That's their passion. There are people who love children. And nothing gives them more excitement than to come alongside the little ones. There are people who wake up in the morning and they're thinking about global evangelization. Members of our church who wake up in the morning and say, I wonder what God's doing in China or Haiti or Africa today. And there are other people who are just passionate about showing mercy to their next door neighbor and the people in their neighborhood who can I bake a cake for? Who can I give a call to who's struggling? What's your passion? What is your passion? God wires us with these passions. And then, of course, in this particular passage, he talks about spiritual gifts. And what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is simply this. It's a significant ability that is given to each believer by the Holy Spirit, who equips and moves members of the church to serve in special ways for Christ and His kingdom. 
And those of you who are taking notes, don't worry. It's on the inside of the bulletin flap this morning. It's your reflection in the bulletin. What is your spiritual gift? That's what it is. That unique and special ability that every believer is promised. And he says in verse 6 that these are gifts that are given by grace. And don't you love the internal integrity of this passage? Because you see, back in verse 3, Paul says, by grace given to me. This apostle is not flexing his muscles and saying, look at me, I'm so great. He says, I got grace. I do what I do by grace. And then he says, by the grace given to us. Every gift you have is by grace, so no boasting, okay? Nobody stand up and and shout, look at me, look at me, I'm so great. There's no boasting. What did you get that you weren't given? So competitiveness and, uh, you know, self-showing off. You know, we we just don't need that in the church. Why? It's all grace anyway, okay? So gifts come by grace. And then he says that they are deployed in action. In the middle of verse 6, he says, let's use them. Let's use them. So even if you've done the network course, which is great and very important, what's the next step? Use the gift. Use it, and then you step out by faith. That's why we have this network course. I hope you'll take advantage of it. And this leads right into point number three, because this passage then crescendos up to verse 7. And he says, starting at the end of verse 6, He says, if it's prophecy in proportion to your faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal and who ever does acts of mercy, well, do it with cheerfulness. And now he's just poking the church at Rome. Some of you are teachers. Let teachers teach. Let leaders lead. Let those who are deacons and deaconesses as they act in mercy, let them free to serve and to love people. And the list, that's, this is just, a, this is just a, a small list. And there's gifts like craftsmanship and artistry. And there's gifts like administration and helps. How beautiful this is. I see it all over our church. And I, I, I realize, I realize you get in trouble when you start naming names, but we are a church family. You know, back in November, we passed a budget. We agreed to spend a whole lot of, of our money on a, buying a church van. We want to pick people up who can't get here otherwise. Who's going to drive the van? And three weeks ago, one of our new members, Patrona Velasca, she says, Pastor John, I just want you to know, I just got my large bus driver's license. I love driving the van. Can I pick people up on Sunday mornings and bring them to church? So we have guests here this morning. She picked up this morning while many of us were still asleep in bed. She was on the rounds making sure that people would feel welcome when they come here. Has anybody met Michael and Ilsham Chu yet? You know their passion? Their passion is for toddlers. They love those two to three to five-year-olds, two to four-year-olds, and they are good with them. 
And so you see the children that scamper up here because they know they're going to be safe with the team they're assembled that Tay and Martin and, and Michael and Ilsham have working with our toddlers. It's fantastic. The right people doing the right things for the right reasons. The kids worship James and Kathy Lee and John and Debbie Morkin and Martin and Tay and Jim and Benita Kim. It's just fantastic. And then there's people with the helping gifts. The helping gifts. Behind the scenes, they're the people who say, look, I don't need the spotlight. Just, just let me serve. And they take the initiative. You know, all that ivy out in the front here, it has been growing untouched for decades. And someone just said, would you let us make it look a little nicer around here? Thank you. What about you? This is it. Discover your passions. Identify your spiritual gifts. Recognize how God has uniquely wired you, and that is your servant profile. But of course, am I just talking self-actualization? Is this just you go down to Barnes & Noble and read a book from Est or, or some psychology uh, just helping you actualize? Your, not at all. This is totally different. Why? Because in Christianity, there's a death side as well as a life side. And the Bible teaches us that this only happens once you've experienced the mercy of God. Once you've had an encounter with the cross, and there is a dying in Christianity before you can use your spiritual gifts and before you can be effective in your servant profile. I read a book in the 1970s by a man named Howard Snyder. He wrote The Problem of Wineskins. It was a very important book. And, and what, what Howard Snyder says is that our ministry, listen to me carefully, our ministry is not determined exclusively by personal desire. We're not just saying, let me do what I want to do. That's a recipe for disaster in the church. Our ministry is not determined exclusively by personal desire, but by the cross. As one is crucified with Christ and dies to his own will, the Holy Spirit resurrects within him his significant gift. So the spiritual gift, rightly exercised, is not self-centered. It is self-giving. And to realize the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that atones for your sins, it is also putting to death that self-glorification and self-service that we all in our flesh desire so much, and it begins to set us free so that we, when we serve, we really serve. Him. Am I making sense to you? This is not self-actualization, self-improvement, fix yourself up. This is transformation for those who have experienced the mercies of God in the cross. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we might walk in newness of life. And it's in that newness of life that we exercise these gifts and these passions for His glory, the right people doing the right things, and because of the cross, for the right reasons.
So we're not on a cruise ship. It's all hands on deck in the battleship. And when we get this right, we will be a body ready to move forward. When we do not get this right, I couldn't resist this. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. If we don't get this passage right, this is what happens. So, have you received mercy? Have you presented yourself to the Lord? We're going to do that now as we finish up. We're going to sing. I'm going to invite the worship team up here, and uh, my closing prayer will be our, our prayer, singing this song as we present ourselves fresh today. If you've never presented yourself to Jesus Christ and experienced his mercy, well, this is the day. This is the day for you to be by the Spirit, born again, made a new creation, and to begin that journey into newness of life and to be a part of our body. I, I think I'm going to ask Tolly to sing the first uh, little bit, and then we will come in and join you. Tolly, if you would just start this off.